0: Welcome to The Bone Coach Show, dedicated to helping you understand all things related to diet, lifestyle, bone health, and how you can live and thrive with low bone density and osteoporosis. I'm your host, Kevin Ellis, certified health coach, health and wellness speaker, and above all else, your bone coach. After being diagnosed with osteoporosis in my early 30s, I transformed my health through diet and lifestyle and now help my clients and community members do the same through my online coaching practice, Bone Coach, Com. Look, there are no quick and easy cures for low bone density, but the choices we make every single day can have a powerful impact on our bones, our health, and our general well-being. I'll share the research, interview the experts, and help you figure out how to get the conditions right in your body so you can better your bones through diet and lifestyle. Short disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor and this show should not be considered medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare team before making medical decisions and changes to your diet and lifestyle that being said, let's get on with the show.
1: It seems so easy. Oh, go on a diet, you know, eat less, exercise more. But it's like, we have to retrain ourselves in a, in a, and create these new habits. And it, trust me, it takes more than 21 days. You know, this idea of it takes 21 days to change a habit, not when you've had a 40 year run of it, you know, in this addictive pattern, like you're gonna need a lot of support and you need um, to really, on all fronts, address this and make changes.
0: If you haven't done so already, especially if you're newly diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis, or if your most recent bone density scan still showed more bone loss, go ahead and pause this episode and head over to bonecoach.com to sign up for your free seven-day osteoporosis kickstart guide. That's going to give you everything you need step by step by step over the next seven days to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones. You won't want to miss that. So pause this right now head over to bonecoach.com, and I'll be here as soon as you get back. Welcome, welcome to this episode of The Bone Coach Show. Joining us today to explore emotional eating and the impact it has on our lives, our health, and our bones is Trisha Nelson. Trisha Nelson lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. Trisha has spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addictive personality. Trisha is an emotional eating expert and TEDx speaker and author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. Tricia is the host of the popular podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show, and is a highly regarded speaker. She's been featured on NBC, CBS, KTLA, Fox, and The List. Tricia, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here. I'm great great to be able to have this conversation today.
1: Me too. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, this is going to be great. So let's go ahead and I I want to get started with your background, your story, how this became your area of focus, and really what your journey looked like with emotional eating and how did it lead to the path you're on now?
1: You bet. Um, You know, I think it's really as far back as I can remember that I was obsessed with food. Like, I love to eat. So I love to eat. I love to cook. I love to, you know, um, prepare food to other people for other people. Go out to dinner. I had like ha- heart palpitations when I knew I was going to go out to a really good restaurant. So, so it was just one of these things that that was a constant obsession for me. And and um, I was definitely drawn to like sugar and carbs and and that kind of thing. I love sweets. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it didn't stop there. I gained weight very easily. So throughout my life, I, I was overweight. I mean, by age 21, I was 50 pounds overweight, as you had mentioned. And that was a big bummer, obviously. (laughs) So, um, you know, I had this roll on my tummy that I would scrunch up in my hands and imagine cutting off, like you cut fat off the side of a steak, or, um, you know, I thought of maybe getting some disease where I'd automatically lose weight. Um, you know, some crazy kind of outlandish thoughts, because I just couldn't control what I ate, and I couldn't control my weight either. You know, I mean, I, I, the first thing you do when you feel yucky about your body is you go on a diet. Like that's what you're supposed to do. You know, eat less, exercise more. Um, but Kevin, no matter how many times I did that, I always put the weight back on. And so I got to the point where I was just like, man, I'm such a loser. Like I can't do it. I can't follow the diet. And as soon as I would lose the weight. I'd be right back up the scale. And so I really did start to feel hopeless. Like, gosh, you know, when's this ever going to change? Is it going to ever change? And I was a yo -yo yoer So I would like go up 30 pounds, down 20, up 40, you know, and I had about five different sizes of pants in my closet because I never knew what size I'd be. Um, And so I really was starting to lose hope. And thankfully I met somebody who, Uh, uh, really became a mentor for me. And he told me, he's like, your weight, you know, your problem has nothing to do with food. And that was a kind of a revolutionary message for me. And it's not that it doesn't have anything to do with food, obviously, but it goes deeper than that. And so uh, what I learned is a way of addressing and healing the emotional eating. And that's a piece I think that not enough people are talking about you know, it's not calories in calories out or, you know, portion, I mean, portion sizes, exercise, all these things are important. But if you have an emotional connection to food, like I did, like, like from a very young age, it is a ingrained, very deeply ingrained habit that no diet will, will stop, you know? And so that's really where I needed to go. And that did turn everything around for me when I started to do that. And a, address my stress issues and, and, um, you know, way, the way I operated in the world, cause there, it went beyond food. It had a lot to do with my personality as well. So that changed everything. And I've been very blessed, you know, to have kind of codified everything that I learned and I put it in my book, you know, my selling book and my, I talk about it in my TEDx talk. And I, um, you know, any way I can, I'm sharing with people, this information. So I so appreciate your having me here because I think it is a game changer for so many people.
0: Yeah, no, I I would agree. And and this is an important topic because when we're going to talk about how this relates to our bones here in just a minute also. But I know when we talk about like what you were talking about is you just you had this desire to eat specific foods and things like that. And I know the term food addict comes up a lot. And I've heard that term come up a lot. But how do how do you know, is there a difference between an emotional eater and a food addict? And if so, you know, how do you know if you're one or the other?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, my feeling is that we're kind of hardwired to have an emotional connection with food. You know, I think we might not subsist as a species if we didn't, you know, yeah. uh, we might just blow off eating. It's like, oh, I'm not feeling like it today. So um, so we have that, you know, it feels good to eat. It feels good to eat warm, yummy foods or foods that remind you of your grandmother or whatever. So, so that's not a terrible thing. So I, I tend to think we're all emotional eaters on some level, um, but not to the level that I took it necessarily, which is to my destruction, you know? And so I consider it to be a spectrum, you know, we're all emotional eaters, you know, bottom line, but those who become, uh, they're, they're high on the spectrum, and I have literally a quiz on my website where people can find out where they are on the spectrum, but the high end of the spectrum is food addiction, okay, where you are, you know, and, and some of the signs of addiction are you can't stop when you start, you know, you do it in spite of negative consequences, you have cravings when you stop, you have withdrawal symptoms when you stop, and with sugar, certainly that's the case, that was the case with me. So there are classic signs of addiction that food falls under in my experience. Um, And, and also, I mean, just the whole idea of being totally out of control. So that spectrum is really qualified by two things. Um, One is the level of control that you have um, to stop, you know, and the other is the number of consequences you have when you, when you eat. So, or overeat, let's say, I mean, you have to eat clearly, um, which is why this is also tricky. Right. So, Um, On the low end of the spectrum, perhaps as somebody who goes on a cruise, eats a lot of cheese, you know, wine and desserts, because it's a free for all you've already prepaid. And you put on five pounds, you come home and you're like, geez, I feel kind of yucky. I'm gonna jog extra this week and, you know, cut out sweets, like no more sugar for me for a while. And boom, five pounds is off. That's somebody who has a lot of control. They can course correct when they're they're feeling like their pants are too tight, um, and there's not a lot of consequences. Five pounds comes off easily; not a big deal, you know. Versus somebody like me that would gain fifty pounds, you know, and and go down the rabbit hole, and I could I could be in the binge cycle for a week, you know, or two weeks before you know it, I've gained 10 pounds, you know, and I'm wearing black yoga pants, you know, and covering myself up with sweatshirts and, and feeling terrible and getting depressed and, you know, canceling um, appointments with friends because I don't want to be seen or, or don't want to have my video on on zoom nowadays. Right. So um, that's, that's somebody who can't course correct and is basically just falls down the rabbit hole, you know, of, of being out of control and when you do that kind of behavior long enough, your body, you know, pays a price, and your body's like, "Yo," and and doesn't, you know, it is feeling creaky and achy and inflamed and bloated. You know, your gut issues are, are starting to flare. Autoimmune issues issues are coming up. Of course, bone, you know, issues. Um, so uh, that's that's somebody who has a lot of constant, You know, the longer you do this kind of behavior the more your body's going to pay a price, you know? And so that's, those are mounting consequences. And again, that puts you in more of the food addiction, you know, part of that spectrum where you're doing it in spite of your doctor telling you, in spite of your coach telling you, you know, you're just like, Oh my God, I can't like, I'm doing it anyway. And I know so many people know they should be eating better foods. They know what to eat. You know, I find that most of my clients aren't stupid. Like they know, what's healthy eating and what's not healthy eating. Cause they've been studying this for so long, trying to get to the bottom of it, but they do it anyway. And that's, that's the most frustrating thing. It's like, I, I hear it over and over. Like I know better, but I can't do it.
0: And, and what's going on under the surface chemically, you know, is, is, um, what's driving that chemically. Is it just dopamine?
1: Um, I think that's a, certainly, you know, it's, you know, eat sugar and carbs and you're going to be, you know, lighting up the reward center in your brain for sure. And, and you're going to have a, again, those classic signs of addiction where you need more, you know, you have, you build up tolerance, you need more to get that same hit, um, making you feel good. I mean, so many people eat to feel good. You know, it just feels good. It's momentary, but you know, we eat to feel good when we don't have Strong, you know, brain, you know, chemicals going on. So, um, and but, you know, the 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 area I live in mostly is the emotions and trying to make ourselves feel better because not only we our brain chemistry is off, but also because we've been living in a way that isn't supportive of good mental health. You know, we've been overextending ourselves, people pleasing. You know, burying our feelings, not speaking up for ourselves. You know there's a lot of behavioral things that emotional eaters do that contribute to their need for heavier foods, you know, unhealthy foods
0: um, and then <clears throat> why why is it that people really struggle with um, getting a hold of this, or, you know, being able to get to a point where they can actually make progress and improvements. Why do they fail maybe if they've tried multiple times like, OK, I'm not going to go eat this specific food or I'm not going to eat it. You know, I'm I'm only going to have one versus the whole box. Why do people really struggle with getting to the point where they can just do this on their own?
1: You know, it, it, it is when it becomes an addiction for somebody, I mean, it's kind of like somebody who's progressed to the point of alcoholism, you know, it's not just heavy drinking, it's alcoholism. Typically you need support to stop. I mean, for most of the people who come to me, it's been a lifelong struggle. I mean, literally decades of dieting, decades of going on the wagon, falling off the wagon, you know, decades of exercise programs, diets, you know, different kinds of funky eating, vegan, you know, now it's intermittent fasting or, or keto or, you know, there's always something new to try. And so it's a merry-go-round. And yet, I mean, statistically speaking, 98% of all diets fail, you know and that's an abysmal statistic you know 98% and it's a uh, you know if you go on amazon right now and do a search for diets you'll get 60,000 results you know and so i think that it's a lifelong problem that people have so a diet's not going to fix it and i think if somebody is an emotional eater which my my opinion is if somebody's been chronically struggling with food and weight Um, and and I say food and weight because they may not have a food, uh, a weight problem, but they have a food problem, you know, and that's, uh, people come to me with that too. It's like, they're constantly obsessed with food and with their weight, even if they're not overweight, you know, but if this is a constant struggle for somebody, typically it is emotional eating. That's the gap for them. Like they'll go on the diet, but they, I'll take myself, for example, like on a diet, I, you know, you get kind of you get new diet syndrome when you get a new diet or your doctor gives you new diet. you're like, you know, you start doing it. You feel great. You're like, I'm doing it. You know, I'm feeling good, looking good. And you've got this high, right. But then after a couple of weeks, it pales and you're feeling like, Oh, it's no longer easy because I'm not riding that new diet high. I'm, I'm sort of falling off of that, that wave. And then it becomes hard. And And then it's like you can't, willpower will not carry you through. And my experience is that's when I would always blow it. I'd be like, screw this, I need chocolate, you know? And so, and I couldn't eat a little bit of chocolate, I'd go overboard and and end up over, you know, eating the whole bar. I never, I wasn't one of those one square people, let's put it that way. (laughs) So, um, anyway, and I think that what people don't realize is when you go on a diet, you take away your main means of coping with life's stress, right? So for emotional eaters, we use food as, as our rock. Like this is what keeps us stabilized. This is what keeps us together in some ways, even though it, it has so many bad side effects for us. It's in, you know, kind of at that, that sort of primal level, you know, inside of us, it's like, no, this is keeping me going. Like I can't survive without this you know, and it's kind of true. Like I used food from such a young age that it felt like life and death. Like, I'm like, this is what I need to, to live, you know, not just food for eating, but obviously the excess food, the foods I was obsessed with. And so people are, they don't, you know, the whole reason why 98% of all diets fail in my, my experience is that you take away, you strip away all my yummy foods, like take away everything that brings me joy, (laughs) you know, and and, and, and expect me to be happy well that's not going to happen you know after a while i'm going to i'm going to be miserable crawling the walls and wanting my happy back and so what what i need to do and what i teach people to do is start to have new coping tools like if we're going to take away the sugar and the carbs you know the things that are wrecking our body if we're going to take that away we'd better have something else right at hand To depend on because if you've taken away my number one coping tool that I've used for 40 years, you know, it's 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 only going to last a short period of time unless I can transfer to some other coping tools that are healthier that don't have adverse side effects. So that's really to me what's missing. It's like we need a whole new means of coping and we also, you know, need a whole new means of living so that we're not creating a lot of the stress. That we need food to cope with,
0: and it's not like food is going away, right? You need it for sustenance, you need it for nourishment. It's such a social part of our well-being. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, we have meals where people sit down together and eat together, and it's so central to to everything. So it's not like that's going to change. Yeah. And then the other part that you were talking about is with a, a lot of diets failing. A lot of times, I see people struggling because they haven't changed the environment. They haven't changed something about the environment that they're in. Maybe they're still bringing the cookies into the house, right, or maybe they're still bringing the ice cream or pizzas or cakes or whatever into the house. And then maybe they haven't built new habits around those healthier options and alternatives. So what you you were mentioning there was, um, we need to find other alternatives And when you bring in something else in order to not revert back to that old thing and crowd, you're, you're almost like crowding out that old thing. You have to form kind of habits and make it sustainable and practical around whatever that new thing is that you just introduced. So,
1: yeah, no question about it. It's like, we have to, it seems so easy. Oh, go on a diet, you know, eat less, exercise more, but it's like, we have to retrain ourselves in a, in a, and create these new habits. And it, trust me, it takes more than 21 days. You know, this idea of it takes 21 days to change a habit, not when you've had a 40 year run of it, you know, in this addictive pattern, like you're going to need a lot of support and you need um, to really on all fronts address this and make changes.
0: And if, you know, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, wow, this is me, I'm right here. I know this is helpful for me. Hit the like button. Uh, make sure you you know t- comment below if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're not listening, if you're listening on the podcast and you're not on YouTube, go subscribe to the YouTube channel at Bone Coach, uh, and and make sure you like and follow there. But or if you know somebody who struggles with this, or maybe it's your significant other that you're listening and you're like, wow, I see, I kind of see this in them. Share this with them so they can benefit from it too. So. Tricia, how does somebody differentiate between emotional hunger, emotionally driven hunger and and actual physical hunger?
1: Yeah, uh, it's so funny because I've been doing this work for over 30 years and sometimes they feel exactly the same to me, like even though I know what I know, right? And I have the experience I have. Um, it's amazing to me how I can be... Working, you know, at my computer, you know, we both have online businesses. I'm working on my computer and 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 working away, and then there's a phone call I need to make that I totally don't want to make. <laughs> like I'm putting it off, I'm procrastinating, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I'm really hungry. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, you're not. like, who are we kidding? like and and the reason why I can be so sure it's not physical is because I do something that I recommend to people in my book I talk about it. it's called three meal magic, which is eating three meals with nothing in between, which is a game changer for emotional eaters, because we're used to grazing and snacking all day long, you know, which is how we you know, and, and the snacky foods are the ones that make us gain weight, right? They're usually the chips and the and the nuts and the, um, you know, chocolate and all these things, these grabby things that we eat. So, um, but the, the truth is that, um, the three meal magic is so helpful for me because I'm not eating between meals, which is so helpful. Um, so, and, but, but beyond that, what it helps me do is start to be able to identify what is this hunger, you know, is it really that I'm hungry? Probably not. If I had a really healthy breakfast, you know, those three meals are so good because I, I, I can't fool myself for long. Like, no, you're not like you had a healthy breakfast. It's You know, two more hours to lunch, you're probably not going to die like your head's telling you you're going to die. Right. But beyond that, I can start to, you know, if I'm grazing all day long, I'm numb. I'm numb to my feelings. Whereas if I have space between my meals, I can start to check in and say, what's going on? oh, you're afraid to make that phone call. You're afraid of rejection. Like, oh, and all of a sudden you think you're hungry, right? And so I can start seeing like, oh no, this is emotional hunger. This isn't physical hunger. And so that's why that that sort of way of eating is so helpful because I need to start learning what my emotions are. You know, I was checked out for so long in that grazing mode that I need to sort of start to tune into my body and, and figure out, You know what's what. It's it's really a beautiful journey of getting to know yourself. Um, But if I'm just obsessed with food, thinking about food all day long, I'm never going to get to take that journey.
0: And you should be using that time in between those meals to, you know, if if you think you're hungry again in between a meal, especially if you had a good satiating meal, drink some water. Right? Drink. Amen. Drink some water. That's the perfect time to do it. And then wait, wait ten or fifteen minutes. Are you still? Are you still hungry? if you aren't drinking another glass of water, like that would be, that would be a good idea to do just in between meals. Cause you need to stay hydrated too. And, and in between, meals it's a good time to do that.
1: Yeah. And it is amazing how, you know, not having enough water or being thirsty can feel like hunger when it's not, it's like, you're, you're really just thirsty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So why is it that when we do crave certain things, we're, we're craving sweets and car bridge snacks when, when, people are really stressed out when when they're feeling like oh i just need something right now.
1: Yeah, so i was a total sugar addict, you know, and um and it was a big i mean sugar was i mean had me, hands down had me. Sugar is highly addictive. You know, so somebody's addicted to sugar, it's a physical thing. It's not just emotional, it's definitely physical, you know, and i still I do something called the Quit Sugar um, uh, Challenge because I want to help people get off of sugar. And when we do it in community together in a challenge, it's, it's much easier. Um, but my experience: is if I eat sugar, you know that sugar is going to crave more sugar. And so, because it is an addictive substance, um, sometimes you know studies have shown it's more addictive than heroin. So, um, so there's the physical aspect. But if you're off of sugar, and you're still craving sugar, then that's the emotional aspect. You know, we're looking for something to fill the hole, you know, um, that empty place. And I wanna talk about the PEP test because I think this is a good way for people to understand emotional hunger um, and also understand why we do turn to foods even though we know they're not good for us. So um, so the PEP is a acronym, P-E-P. And the first, and this is a way to describe not, not what foods are doing to us, but what foods are doing for us. Cause there's always a payoff, right? Like we're like, eat, even though it hurts our bodies and we do it anyway, it's because there's a payoff. So what, why are we doing that? So my experience is the first piece stands for painkiller. So we use food as a form of painkiller. What kind of pain are we killing? Well, take your pick, like, you know, pandemic, there's some pain for you. You know, your whole life is turned upside down and you know, you can't go to the gym and then you can't see your family and, and whatever. So that was a lot of pain, maybe a relocation, maybe losing a job, maybe an ill parent or a dysregulated kid. I mean, there is unlimited amounts of pain in the world. Right. And so when it's our habit to anesthetize that pain with food, that's what we do. It's like uncomfortable feeling. Uh, where's the food? Like what's in the refrigerator? And it it is a habit, you know, to just numb our pain, and so that's a problem, obviously. Um, then there, the E and PEP stands for escape, and um, oftentimes we are looking to uh, just kind of get away from the world, maybe even our own heads. So as overeaters, we tend to be overthinkers as well. And we're constantly thinking about the worst case scenario in any way. Okay. So um oftentimes we just want to get out of our heads. So we get, I mean, I used to get my favorite binge foods, sit in front of the TV, and it's like, I just want the whole world to go away. <laughs> You know, but a lot of times it was my own brain I was trying to get away from because I was having all these crazy thoughts. So um, so that's a big reason why we eat. And usually it's sugar, you know, sugar is in there somewhere. In my experience with emotional eaters, that's the number one thing that we turn to. Um, and the last P in PEP stands for punishment, which that one seems a little counterintuitive because we think of food or yummy foods as a reward but we're not really rewarding ourselves. If you play it out, if you're somebody who binges like I was, I mean, I could eat 2000 calories in a sitting, you know, and I end up feeling sick. Well, that's not a reward. Like I just beat myself up with sugar and carbs. Like I just stuffed myself to the point where I feel sick. And I'm saying all these mean things towards myself. Like, what'd you do that for? You're such a loser. You can't get it together. Right. And so it's, and then I'm canceling an appointment with friends and I'm isolating myself with the curtains drawn. That's hardly a reward. Hello. (laughs) You know? And so it's like, why am I doing that? And my experience with emotional eaters is overeaters tend to also be over feelers, you know, and we feel guilty about everything really hard on ourselves, beating ourselves up, not only for the foods we eat, but for everything, relationship stuff. And how we were at work or what we said or what we didn't say. I mean, again, we're relentless. So food is also a punishment. So these, the PEP again um, to uh, recap is painkiller escape and punishment. And this is just a way for, they can take a little te- PEP test. If you find yourself going in the refrigerator, it's like, what's going on? Is, it, is there something uncomfortable that, I've, that I'm going through that I want to kill that pain? You know, am I trying to get out of my head because my mind won't shut up? Or am I feeling bad about something and I need to address it instead of just beat myself up? So I just find that little pep test a good way for people to start sort of seeing the connection between their eating, between their sugar cravings, you know, and their patterns uh, of thought.
0: And it's like you've got this trigger, right? This trigger uh, that you can probably notice. Or if you paid attention to it, I would think you could probably notice that this is going to happen. And there is a gap in between when this trigger happens and the time you and you're going and getting that food or snack or sugary treat or whatever. I want to talk about sugar and bones in just a second too. But, um, I would think that during that gap, that window, that's your opportunity to actually do something there. Would you, would you think that's the right time? Maybe Trisha?
1: Yeah. For a lot of people, it's just, It's so knee-jerk that it takes, you know, this is why this healing process is a process and not just a quick fix because it takes time to start recognizing, oh, hard situation, uncomfortable feelings, let's find a new tool, right? Let's find a new way of coping. So like I had so many people say, oh, I was doing great until the pandemic happened. You know, and and then people just went haywire with food, and um, because it was a really traumatic thing for everybody on the planet, we were all having our lives upended. Um, so the more we can check with ourselves and realize we are emotional beings and we have emotional responses to life's problems, you know, that's that in and of itself. That seems so like yeah, duh. But it's not a like most people aren't even checking in enough to realize that you know, and I have to constantly tell people like, you know, life is hard, life is hard. And we have emotional responses to everything. It's just, we're in this knee jerk habit with just stuffing with food. So it's a process of realizing this is a hard situation. I need some self-care. Like I need some self-care. I need a hug. I need to take a time out. Like all those kind of self care type things that's new for us. And it's not something we learn in our culture you know, to take a time out, sure, we'll give a kid a time out, but we don't realize we need a time out, you know, but that's exactly what we need. And, and you're right on that we, you know, that's when we start need to start using new tools. And I will say, we can start the day with new tools as well, just as a matter of course, and I actually teach that, you know, to start the day with meditation, yoga, breathing, Something that can help you get still and quiet and centered. I call it putting money in your spiritual bank account, you know, like put money in the bank account first thing in the morning, you're going to need it. Like you will need to take withdrawals throughout the day. Life is hard, you know, so just know you need it. And if you do make deposits first thing in the morning by getting still and quiet and connected to source, then you can make withdrawals later and you've got something to withdraw from you're not going to be in the red but if we don't make those deposits first thing we're looking around for chocolate and candy and you know pot gummies
0: <laughs> i i remember when i was first told i had celiac disease and i had to remove gluten from my diet and all these other foods that i used to love i used to eat them all the time some of them were sugary sweet treats and things like that and i remember i the feeling of having all these things taken away like oh it's the joy in my life that like so many so much of that is being taken away from me and then when one of the things that are out there there's all these gluten-free bakeries and stuff I don't really go I don't eat that kind of stuff anymore but um I used to I used to go to when I'd travel I'd go to gluten-free bakeries and I just feel like oh I'm I'm treating myself. I was deprived of this thing that's been out there that I've had a wall in between for so long, and I would just go to town. I would I would overdo it for sure on yep. some of these things, and it was because I I felt like oh my gosh I almost it was almost like I was driven toward this thing because I there was a wall in between me and that, and once that wall was up, I was going right toward it and I wasn't going to stop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and of course, the gluten-free things have the most sugar in them.
0: (laughs) I know, know, right? Um, But and so, one of the things that I, a lot of people that I talk to, they talk about how this happens for them a lot at night, though. So, is there is there a reason why people have this at night happen more often?
1: Yes, and um, you know, in in my research, about seventy five percent of the emotional eating that emotional eaters do is like from about four o'clock on in the afternoon. And so nighttime eating is a big thing. And my, you know, my experience and, and belief is that, you know, when we're busy and overeaters are overdoers. Okay. So we're like on the go getting stuff done, you know, and, um, when we're busy, it distracts us from ourselves and from our feelings And oftentimes we're skipping meals. So there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, skipping meals, bad idea. All right. You're always going to pay later, (laughs) you know? And the thing is, in the emotional eater's brain, there's always this sneaky part. I still have it in my head. And that's why I don't skip meals because I've got this little sneaky thing that goes, oh, if I skip a meal, I'm going to lose weight. Like I'm going to get I'm going to hack. This is a good hack. You know, I'm hacking it. I worked right through lunch. Good for me. I'm going to get ahead of the game here. It never works because at the end of the day, we're hung. We're over hungry. Right. And, And when your defenses are down, you know, your willpower is the lowest at night. Right. The strongest first thing in the morning and you're in the kitchen, you've got no defense, like you're over hungry, over tired, over stressed, overloaded with feelings that you haven't done anything to address. And it's you and the, you know, the the brownies, you know, and so that's part of why it's bad, because you're just you've accumulated so much stress. And, um, and, and if you're skipping meals, it's your goner. So it to me, it never pays off to skip meals. Like I'm I, my best chance is to just feed again feed myself three meals a day nothing in between and if you want to in rent and fast like have 12 hours between your dinner and breakfast fine but don't go if you have food issues don't go longer because it will trigger you you know to bench you know it's really hard once that window opens up for people to not go crazy um so i just like the gentleness and the self-loving you know, like aspect of three meals it's how we you know we would say to our kid like just skip a few meals, you'll lose a few pounds. Like we would never say that to a kid, you know, so why are we doing that to ourselves? But I digress. Um, the Another thing why evening is so hard for us is because it does quiet down, you know, and the busy isn't there. And then we're stuck with our feelings, you know, like then, right, what the boss said to us is starting to come back to us, you know, the fact that we didn't get that paper in or that project done or, or some other thing that was disappointing that we just blew right off because we were so busy. All that stuff starts to come back to us and we we don't have a good healthy way of dealing with that and we just stuff it right down. And lastly, again, as overdoers, we've we've put too much on our plate, so to speak, and oftentimes we're working late at night on the computer or finishing up emails or whatever, not going to bed. I mean, that's another way we hurt ourselves um, is with lack of sleep or staying up too late. In my experience, it's really common for emotional eaters. Um, it's sort of a self-abusive pattern. Um, but when you're up late on the computer, you just, you just automatically eat, like, it's just, you, you need some company, you know, and that's what we choose.
0: Yeah. And, and I guess that void of silence is uncomfortable, right? Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we crave it. It's like, when will everybody go to bed? And then, and then <laughs> they're all in bed, and, and it, there is it's there's that's when we feel the emptiness that we're often running from. You know, the emptiness inside that needs to be addressed. I call it a hole in our soul, you know, or that God shaped hole, you know, like that's there, and we don't notice it till it everything settles down and it's quiet.
0: What what is one when somebody starts to do things right when they're starting to make progress and. Uh, improvement and things like that. Why do they why would someone self-sabotage?
1: Sabotage is such a big thing for us. Oh my gosh, so frustrating. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with this this problem runs deep and it does go back to programming. You know, it's sort of like the programming that we first got. And oftentimes, as emotional eaters, we didn't get a strong sense of ourselves. You know, we grew up with abuse or problems in the home or you know, of some trauma. kind. Yeah, trauma of, of all different kinds. It is so endemic for emotional eaters. And it was for me, I had sexual abuse as a kid. And it's like we use we turn to food at such a young age that it first of all is a lifelong habit. It's also a sense of life and death, right? Like I can only go so long without my comfort foods. Um, but also that underlying stuff, you know. It's obviously tempting and seductive to think a diet is going to fix us. Like uh, like wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> you know, but when when our eating is really you know symptomatic of a lot of buried stuff, a lot of pain, again, pain, fear, guilt, you know, emotions that run us, um, you know, a diet can't fix those things. And so the sabotage comes when we have beliefs about ourselves is never being successful at losing weight or never being good. I mean, I thought honestly, Kevin, I mean, not to go deep here, but I had fundamental beliefs about myself. I thought I was stupid. I thought I was ugly. And I thought I was bad. Like literally these are things I thought about myself. And when you have these underlying beliefs, which aren't true, but you know, you take them on so early as a kid they're in you, they're in you. So no matter, you know, what people say, they tell you the opposite. But if you believe that deep in your heart, you know, it's going to be hard to turn things around unless you do that deeper work and you don't need 20 years of therapy to do it. You know, that's the good news. People like, Oh, I guess I need to go to therapy. Not necessarily. You know, my experience is emotional eaters have very specific patterns that are so common. And this is one of the things I do is I try to make it easier and shortcut the whole process of healing for people. So in my book is something called the anatomy of the emotional eater. And these are 24 personality traits that make up the emotional eater's personality. And these are the ones that get us. We we definitely formed a lot of these traits early on because of trauma. But then as adults, they get like they don't work for us anymore. And we use them anyway because we haven't really realized we have them. So I'll tell you a few of the top traits, because obviously we don't have time for 24, but the top, top trait um, in my over 30 years experience is people pleasing. Mm. So emotional eaters are major people pleasers. And I was the worst offender, you know, and part of this is where we didn't have a strong sense of ourselves. And so we're looking outside of us. For the validation we don't have for ourselves so we're running around like running circles around everybody trying to be validated like let me do that extra project let me cook the make the cook stay up till 11 making the cookies for the soccer team right let me do the driving let me like and packing our schedules we're always trying to be super people super women you know, to, to have people say how fabulous we are, because that's where we get our self-esteem. But the drawback is we're exhausted, you know, our bodies are tired, and then we reward ourselves for, our, for how fabulous we are, because nobody else does, right? The problem with people pleasing is nobody's ever as pleased as we plan on them being, <laughs> and then we're kind of pissed off. So we're resentful and we're like, screw them. Like I'm going to stop and get my favorite meal on my way home, you know, my favorite ice cream. And so it perpetuates the overeating, even though that trait ostensibly has nothing to do with food. It leads to the overeating. And this is what I mean by changing habits. Like it's, there's a lot of habits to change, you know, that have nothing to do with food. We have to live differently in order to eat differently because this is the stress we create, we do it. And to me, that's the good news. It's not a matter of blame. It's like, oh, if I'm doing it, I can undo it. You know, I can start having boundaries on my time. I can start saying no. Like I actually can't do that extra project. I'm, you know, I got to go home and, and take care of myself. you know So there's changes that have to be made you know systemically. Um, another one is we don't speak up for ourselves. You know, we don't say how we feel, we eat it down. We stuff it with food. And then we're burning inside and that has to change, you know, and I tell my clients, I'm like, Hey, say it or stuff it, say it or stuff it, you know? And so these are things that we have to address that go way beyond food, but have everything to do really with developing a quality of life, a life that we want to be in. A lot of times we're eating because we don't like the lives we've created and we're trying to escape them.
0: Gosh, I bet you had a lot of people nodding their head on that last part there when, <laughs> right? you were, as you were talking, yeah, a lot of people, people pleasing, um, trying to be everything for everyone, but uh, there maybe there's something underlying that too that we'd want to, yeah. Look at. Uh, that that was great, Trisha. Thank you so much. And I, I want to, for everybody listening too. I mean, I know we've talked about the the cravings uh sweets and carb rich snacks and things like that and binging on different foods i want to touch on just from a bone health perspective too in terms of if we're binging on these things and we're eating these things every single day one of the impacts of that can could be high blood sugar long term right and that's going to have an impact on your bone health and what happens is when you have high levels of blood glucose on an ongoing basis that's going to cause different health issues in your eyes your cardiovascular system can cause nerve damage can cause kidney damage if you've got kidney damage that's going to affect your ability to reabsorb calcium right that's going to be an issue Uh, you can long term it can create and lead to you having weaker bones poor quality bones so Uh, I think what Trisha is sharing here is something that definitely if you struggle or have challenges with emotional eating and what she's sharing is resonating with you, Trisha, I'd love for you to share, you know, if somebody is listening to this and they nod their head and they're like, yes, this is me, what are three things that you would recommend for this person to do?
1: Um, I would just say, first of all, you know, let go of the idea that you're going to fix this on your own you know, we have such shame. We don't mind hiring a trainer, right? To get in shape at the gym. But the idea of hiring a trainer to help us with our eating issues, that's really hard for us to accept, but get over it. It's like, this is one of the hardest of all addictions to overcome. Like what? And if you could have by now, you probably would have, <laughs> right? So, so <clears throat> ask for help, reach out for help, accept help. It's like, it's, you have to eat. It's to me, it's the hardest to to overcome because you have to eat. You know, you can't just put the plug in the jug, like with alcohol, you got to take that tiger out of the cage three times a day, pet the kitty, and then somehow get it in the cage without getting your ass torn off. So, so do not (laughs) do this alone. Okay, first things first, there's no shame in getting help. Um, Another thing is look at your calendar. You know, stop stuffing your calendar with activity. You know, give yourself some self care first thing in the morning. Take a walk in nature. You know, slow down. The pandemic gave us that gift. You know, kind of pausing the world. We all survived it. You know, and 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 we need that on an ongoing basis. Um, and then, uh, just very simply and pragmatically, stop skipping meals. <laughs> stop skipping meals. Feed yourself. You know, it's, it's okay to eat. You need to eat. You need nourishing food. You deserve to eat. You know, when we've been in that diet mentality, we forget that we're so used to beating our bodies up with food or without food.
0: And when you do eat, make sure you have protein, satiating protein. Uh, Protein is so important for your health and for your bones too. So, and it's going to help carry you to those next meals. So Tricia, this has been wonderful. I'm glad you've shared everything you have with our audience. Where can they find you? And, and more about your, your program and things like that as well.
1: Sure. Um. Well, I recommend people start with the quiz, which is on my homepage and my website. Take that quiz. Find out if you're an emotional eater or a food addict or where in between you may be. Um, that's at healyourhunger.com, H E A L healyourhunger.com. Um, my TEDx talk is, is out there as well. Actually, my TEDx talk is on my website as well. So just go to the website that my podcast is on there. My book, everything's just healyourhunger.com. That's the place to go. I'm also Instagram, uh, Trisha Nelson underscore as well.
0: Perfect. We'll link to all of those things in the show notes. And for everybody listening, you know, if you found this helpful and, you know, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm going to keep bringing interviews like this to you every single week uh, with people like Tricia, who are just sharing amazing information about emotional eating and their connection to your health, to your bones, and just getting you to a point where you're living in your best, most active life. Uh, so you can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned here over at bonecoach.com forward slash Tricia Nelson, heal your hunger, emotional eating. I wanna thank you again so much for your time. We'll see you in the next episode. Hope you found this episode of The Bone Coach Show helpful. You can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned over at bonecoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, be sure to share it with someone you love, a friend, family member, even a group of people. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode that can help you improve your bones, your health, and your future. One last reminder, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com for more great resources to help you get on the path to stronger bones and an active future. I'm your bone coach, Kevin Ellis. I'll see you in the next episode.